What's up? Nice jacket. Thank you. Who said that? <laughs> uh, everything else was dirty, and so this was hanging up nice and neat. Uh, actually, my wife said I can't wear this after this weekend because it's like linen. I don't know those rules, but um, I've been informed that uh, this is this is going into hiding until after the next. What what is the rule on that? What is the what is the antiquated? No one pays attention to that rule anymore. All the ladies. The guys are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. So if it passes the smell test, I'm going to wear it. Uh, <laughs> secondly, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Philip Scroggin back there for keeping the beat. Just the one guy clapping. Thanks, Philip. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What is, what is wrong with you people? Like, <laughs> so they feel bad. I, you don't, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. I'm just saying. Just thank Philip for keeping it real back there. Um, my name is Derek, and welcome to Labor Day weekend. We just do one hour on these kinds of weekends because, you know, and um, so you guys are committed. You're, you're here. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for not being at the lake, and uh, which is just code for we're not going to come. But um, because it's Labor Day, because I'm wearing a suit jacket, I'm going to talk about fasting. How does that sound? You guys are like, really? And then and then we'll decide where we're going to eat after, <laughs> after church. But uh, I do want to talk about that today, and uh, it comes from, it, well, we'll just sort of start with this. Jesus said these words, uh, you may or may not be familiar with these, but he said, and when you fast, let's say this together, ready? And when you fast, that's, that's quite an assumption, isn't it? That Jesus is assuming that at some point we're fasting. Now, what is, what is that? Like, some people think Lent, some people think it's that season between Epiphany and Easter where you don't do something like you don't eat chocolate or you don't watch the show or you don't whatever and you you're apt you know you, you sort of are absent from some activities or behaviors that you normally would do and it's all in an effort to um, kind of share in the the pain that Jesus went through on the cross like that's kind of the tradition with Lent but it's not the same thing as fasting fasting uh, sometimes is misunderstood as just like an app just abstinence of something, uh, giving up something so that I can grow in this area or so that I can, um, you know, do this or that, right? So some people think it's that. But fasting really as an ancient tradition with, within the Jewish community, but also within others, but within the Jewish community in particular, in particular, fasting was essentially just not eating. So that's, that's that. So we'll see you guys next week, and I just want to teach you guys what fasting was. It's just not eating. It's just like, I'm not going to eat. And there's a lot of like, well, how long do you not eat? Like, what's the tradition there? Well, basically, there's all these things now. Like, there's like, you know, fasting is kind of this secret spiritual way of losing weight, too. And um, that's what people think. And so there's these like, I'm on the Daniel fast or whatever this is, whatever that is. But um, so, which I think involves lions. But um, that's the outcome of that fast, by the way. I just don't want you to be missed understood um, but it's essentially not eating and there's all these different ways that we've interpreted that or like tr it transitioned that practice into our modern day uh, world and modern day lives but essentially it was very very simple uh, in those days and it was a s simply just not eating for a certain amount of time traditionally just from sun up to sundown it wasn't like this long like 
I, I might die fasting and then I'll eat. Like it's not that, uh, although some people would do that, that tradition did grow uh, through time where people would take weeks and not eat. Uh, I had a friend, I actually guested at a church several weeks back, uh, a guy was out of town and so Kyle taught here and I taught there and um, that pastor like two years ago went on like a four week fast and we thought we were going to lose him. You know, it was like, what are you doing? You know, I mean, you're literally fading away and he was just drinking to stay alive. And so, but that's not a biblical tradition. That's not something that came out of the biblical tradition. That's something that evolved over time. And there are some reasons for that, which I'll get uh, into in a minute. But Jesus, back to what Jesus said, he said, and when you fast. Now, this is a teaching that comes right after the teaching on prayer. We just did this series through the Lord's Prayer that you can see behind me. I'm really sad these are coming down this week, but they're coming down this week, which is good because a lot of you bought some of those, so you need them. Uh, but right after that teaching on prayer, Jesus moves into the next category of spiritual disciplines, and he says, and when you fast. He went through three. Uh, he went through charity and then prayer, and then he ends with fasting. And there's this assumption that we're doing it. There's this assumption that those who are followers of, of Christ and lovers of God will, throughout their lives, fast here and there. And so he says, and when, and when you fast. So what is that? A lot of people assume that it is, a, it is a means by which we get God's attention, that something terrible is happening and we need some clarity, or we're unsure as to which direction we should go uh, in life, and so we fast to receive direction or answers, and some people uh, fast in a belief that they will get rewarded with something from God, like a relationship or a new car or success. If we fast, then God will give us something because fasting gets God's attention, like fasting becomes a way of, like it's coercion. Like if I do this, then it will it'll make God feel bad for me, and then he'll respond, right? I go on a hunger strike so God notices me, and then maybe some things will change. But fasting is not coercion. It's not a means of getting something from God. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Let me just give you a working definition here on the screen. But fasting is the response to sacred and grievous experiences, those events that bring pain, suffering, fear, doubt, hopelessness to the world, like sin, injustice, violence, war, and death. These are the traditional reasons that we fast. Fasting is not a proactive step to get God to do anything, but it is a response to sacred and terrible experiences, and I've listed some on the screen for you there. Now, that sort of makes it available all the time, doesn't it? I mean, with 24-hour news and all the different social media outlets, like, we can find enough of those things every second to sort of justify, I guess I should fast, right? Particularly this last line, like injustice and violence and war and death. These are the things that the scriptures call God's people uh, to fast about or to fast over. And so fasting isn't 
a way to, again, get something from God, but it's a response. Like, essentially, fasting is response. It's a kind of response that we give to the things in the, in the world that are breaking, that we see, and we're heartbroken over those, and we respond through fasting. We respond by not eating. Why is that? Uh, well, I'll get to that in a moment. But um, say this word with me. I'll teach you a Hebrew word because it's Labor Day weekend and you're here. Um, but the word is Shiva. Say the word Shiva. You have to say it with feeling. Ready? Shiva. This is essentially about mourning. Shiva is this seven-day period of mourning that takes place when someone has passed away. And in the Jewish tradition, they would mourn for a week's time. You may know the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus who died, but Jesus doesn't show up to the funeral until day four. Now we think, well, that's, that's rude. He didn't even make the visitation. But actually, he, he, he landed at that funeral right in the heart of the mourning period. He also landed in, uh, at that funeral on day four, which again is not just the middle, but it's also beyond day three, which is essentially beyond hope that maybe Lazarus is just sick. And so there's these, a double thing going on, but he's not late, he's actually right in the middle. He shows up essentially right on time to participate in the morning, and it's, uh, it's a classic story where we learn that Jesus cried. He mourns with the family, he mourns with the sisters, he mourns over the death of his friend, right? And so uh, Shiva is this practice that's like, I'm just going to sit with you. I'm going to sit with you in your pain. I'm going to sit with you in your loss. And I'm just going to try and feel that and try and participate in that with you. Um, we, some, sometimes uh, it doesn't appear that we're doing that. And I, I got to share the story with you because it's really fresh. But my wife and son and I left last Thursday. Her grandfather passed away last Tuesday long, great life, almost 90 years old, and so we, we drove to Louisville, and uh, we got there, and he's a farmer, and a great man, and we go into the visitation room, and the casket is a John Deere casket. Right. I was like, well, that's, that's weird, and I'm looking at the John Deere casket like it's the thing. It's the, it's the green and the yellow and, and the, 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 I don't know what you call it, the door. <laughs> The door has the tractor on the material. Like, it, there was no mistaking what it was. And I, I'm there as not only a pastor, but a person raised in the Deep South. And so I'm just, there's this conflict inside of me. Like, I really want a picture of this casket. But <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I can't. And as soon as I think that, I turn around and all of Mickey's family are just like lined up with their iPhones, taking pictures of the, and we're just like, you know, she's like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, awesome. So I get my phone and uh, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. And so we take the pictures and, and, but this happened, I mean, the visitation was both the day before and then the day of, and it's like, this is happening the whole time. People coming in, it's like. And at some point, the day of the funeral, we we're sitting in the front row, and I'm like, you know, can, can we stop taking pictures of the casket? Well, it gets worse or better, depending on your tradition. But it's not just a John Deere casket, but the trip to the, the graveyard uh, where we will bury him is a John Deere tractor 
pulling a flatbed with the John Deere casket on it, right? So we are in the car basically behind this thing. And you know how people pull over for the funeral procession? You know, just normal citizens in respect pull over. Well, they, they do. They pull over. It's a small town. They pull over. But everybody's getting out with their phones, like. <laughs> and Mickey is just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I said, look, I've known your, I've known your granddad for 20-plus years. He knows exactly. He knew exactly what he was doing. Like, he was going to cause a scene. Uh, this was going to be inappropriate. Uh, but but the, anyway, all that to say, like, I don't know if we participated in Shiva as we were all taking selfies with the John Deere casket, right? I, I feel like there was a something that may have been lost there. But at the same time, at the same time, maybe we did. Maybe there was this real sense of we're participating not only in the loss, but we're participating in this man's life, you know, even beyond his life, like enjoying who he was and talking about this is, of course, what he would have. And then this sparks stories, this sparks memories, this sparks conversation, and just a really incredible thing. And that's essentially when we think about mourning with people, when we think about Shiva, that's what it is. Mourning is participating in the pain of others. So how does that relate to fasting? Let me show you this on the screen. Fasting is a way for us to sit with God in his pain and to mourn with him and to participate in his heartbreak over the world's troubles. That's the invitation. When the world is breaking and it breaks us, we're called to fast and to sit with God because the momentary pain that we feel over the brokenness of the world, what does God feel? And it's not, again, it's not about getting God's attention because, you know, it's, it's, it's that we sometimes forget. And God gets our attention through this. And it's when, when we feel that sense of brokenness over someone who's lost a family member or someone who has, you know, had tremendous loss in their life, whether it's through a job or a, relation, a relationship or the death of a loved one again, like whatever that may be. Or just looking around, like what in the world is going on in Ferguson? Like what in the, like people were like, oh my gosh, the world's, no, no, no. You're just now getting the picture of what's happening all the time. And the thing about Ferguson that strikes me is like, again, especially here in the South, it's like the, we often think that we're better than we used to be. And it's so thin, it's just like one thing happens and then the true story surfaces. The true condition comes out. It's like, oh no, we're past that. Evidently we're not. Evidently it's just, it's just a matter of keeping it quiet and we don't say the wrong things anymore, but when, when something happens, just something, the real story emerges and the fracture that is the world becomes noticeable as if we've improved you know as if we're better right as if there aren't more slaves on the earth today than there ever have been right we just cover that with like we're better we're not mean anymore 
as if we're not killing our own people through gun violence more than ever in this country. It's better. Don't look over there. Keep your eyes away from that. And then something happens in Ferguson, and it's like, yeah, maybe we're not better. Maybe we're just better at pretending we're better. And I think sometimes, like, you know, there's a few responses to that. There's anger. There's, I'm going to blog about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loot. Like, I'm just going to go crazy. Or God invites us to sit with him in the same pain. God invites us to sit with him in the same remorse, to fast, to not give ourselves the pleasure of eating so that we can feel pulled, we can feel the tension, we can feel the unrest. So Jesus says, and when you fast, I think the people listening knew exactly when that would be, when there would be turmoil, when there would be tragedy. And it's a way for us to sit with God in his pain over the heartbreak, his own heartbreak over the world's troubles. Does that make sense? So we don't fast a lot, I know, because we don't really know when to do that. So I just wanted to kind of give you a little insight as to when God expects us to do that. Like, okay, now, now I kind of know when that should happen is when things are bad, when things, you know, and fasting, interestingly enough, is kind of natural. Like when I go visit people in the hospital, uh, particularly when death is close or they've lost the battle with life, right? No one wants to eat. Like I've never in my career gone into a hospital room and it's just a terrible situation and I never feel the need to go, you guys want to go get something to eat? I would never say that. Mainly because it's rude, but secondly, nobody's hungry. There's a real sense of like the body itself just kind of says, we're not interested in eating right now. That's not important. We'll eat later. You know, in tradition, that first meal after the funeral is so sweet. Because not only is it perhaps the first time a close family member has even had food, but it's also this reminder that we re-enter life. We've mourned and now we begin to take the steps back into life. And so in some cases, fasting is really sort of a natural response to tragedy. And God calls us to pay attention to that and to use that to sit with him in his own pain over the world's troubles. Jesus goes on to say in uh, the next verse of this teaching, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen in others. You get it. I mean, like, we like to let people know we're suffering, is essentially what he's saying. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is their reward? It's in the teaching. They, their reward is they get seen. So this is really interesting. Because again, a lot of us think that fasting is a way for God to see us, to get his attention, to grab his heart. And Jesus is going to get to that issue, but he starts with the external relationships that we have here on earth, this interpersonal thing, like when you fast, don't do it in a way to get any kind of attention. It's just something that you are doing. It's between you and God. 
It's a way for you to sit with him. Not, with them, not for them to sit with you, but it's a way for you to sit with him. And so he says, don't do that. If that's what you do, if you're doing it so people will come and sit with you and go, oh, I can tell that you're really heartbroken over something. Like, that's your reward. That's what we get. We get the recognition of people. And this is, again, very common for us to want people to see that we are in trouble. We kind of like that. Um, the great reformer, Martin Luther, who is prone to uh, really good sarcasm as well, uh, is talking about these people who would fast so that people could see. So uh, we'll put it on the screen for you, this quote from Martin Luther. He says, oh, what wonderful saints these people are. They do not live like the other ordinary people. They go around in gray coats with their heads hanging down and a sour, pale expression on their faces. If such people do not get into heaven, what will become of the rest of us? Right? Just so you know, his wife ran a brewery. I mean, this guy was a rock and roller, right? But he's looking out into the world and saying, oh, look at these very spiritual people who want us to see that they're suffering. If they don't get into heaven, we're all toast, right? If I can't behave like that, if I can't show the world that I'm suffering for God. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do it that way. Look at what he says next in verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. This anointing your head with oil, oil is a sign of joy. Oil is a symbol uh, in the ancient world of victory. It's what, it's what people would do to the next king. It's like to be anointed with oil was to, to show progress. It was like a joyful experience. And so Jesus essentially says, like, just walk around as if things are great. When you fast, just anoint your head, wash your face as you were, basically, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And then he says this in verse 18, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. Now we'll get to what that reward is in a moment. But essentially, what Jesus says here is, when you fast, keep in mind that this is not a mechanism to get God to do anything for you. But it is a response to the brokenness of the world. And that response pulls us in to sit with God, as it were, in mourning over the troubles of the world. And it's a way for us to feel as best we can the pain that God feels over our world. And then lastly, and we'll just put this on the screen for you, that fasting and hunger strikes, as it were, are often used today to get the world's attention. But in the way of Jesus, they are the means of God getting our attention. And this is the big difference. People go on hunger strikes all the time to get the dictator's attention, to get the jailer's attention, to get the government's attention, to get the company's attention. That's what they do. We're going to starve ourselves until you hear our cry. But in the, in the Jesus community... It is not to get anybody else's attention. It's so that God will have our attention. 
fasting isn't a way to get God's attention. It's the other way around because we are the ones who often forget. We are the ones who often grow deaf to God. We're the ones that lose touch with God's heart. It's not the other way around. It's kind of weird to think that you would have to get God's attention anyway. I, I say this often in different contexts, but if I have to do something to get my God's attention, that's a, I, that's a terrible God. Like, I need to get another God. Are you with me on that? It's really about God recapturing our attention. Does that make sense? And so fasting is a beautiful thing because it's, again, it's a way for us to just for a moment, for a day, maybe, to just sit with God and to think deeply about and to feel as best we can what he might feel over something like Ferguson or over something like the loss of a loved one or just the condition of a family that you know that's unraveling or your friend who's lost a job, you know? And what's so great about it is you can do it. I can do it any time. And I'm not very good at it because, you know, clearly I'm not very good at fasting. But it's, it's hard to do. But there's something really sweet about waking up in the morning and saying, I will not eat until dinner. And it's so that I can feel what God feels over the loss in my friend's life or my wife's life or in the world that we live everybody knows you want to go to lunch today no i'm good okay no one's going to ask are you fasting <laughs> no one's going to ask that right but a lot of people like to tell you i'm fasting i'm fasting but no one's going to ask you no i'm good i'm fine i had a big I had a big breakfast you don't have to say that it was yesterday but i had a big breakfast all good can do that I can do that try it surely there's something that is gnawing at your heart surely there's something that disappoints you surely there's something that breaks your heart fast it's not that hard I mean it's hard but it's not you don't have to like wait for the moment it's like it's so easy what's that thing that you just keep going back to in your conversations or or at least in your head where you think Man, I wish that was better I wish it wasn't that way or I wish that would be repaired. Like, what is that? Fast. What, what's the reward, by the way? Not that God changes the situation. He might, but that's not the promise. The promise is that he changes us. And that the reward is perhaps better intimacy with God. Or a better posture in the world. Um, or greater wisdom about something. Or just perspective, right? Remember the footage of uh, the helicopters coming in on top of the mountains and rescuing those kids recently? Like just throwing as many of these refugees as they could in their helicopter and just and, and doing this over and over, like trying to get these people off the mountain. If you guys saw this, but that happened to be on the news one day and my son was sitting on the couch and we had just been arguing about how terrible his life was because he couldn't go out and play soccer or something. And... I'm just captivated by these images, and so is he, and I turn around, and he's just looking at it, and <laughs> this is probably bad parenting, but I looked at him, and I was like, your life's not so bad, is it? 
and these kids his age being pulled into a helicopter so that they will live. And he says, yeah, I guess not. You know? Perspective, maybe. Like, just perspective changes. So I just wanted to share that. I think as a congregation, I, you know, we don't ever talk about this. Uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this here. But um, why not? Like, why, why not put this out there and say, look, as a church, as individual people, as a part of a church family, fast. Do it. And see how that changes you. And see what becomes of you. Amen? There you go. We don't give that one on any other Sunday. That's that's a committed Labor Day crowd talk. So good to see you. And of course, lunch is next. So uh, I do want to tell you, do not feel guilty for that. Um, so eat away. But keep that keep these words in mind as you move through the week and encounter difficulties. Uh, let's share communion together because that's just one of the most beautiful things that we do as a church, and um, I still love to watch the lines develop at the four tables, and just to see uh, the different kinds of people standing in line together to share the same meal that Jesus gave us uh, the night before his death, and so we'll do that together. I'll pray, uh, and then you can make your way to one of those four tables. Uh, We've set it up to where you can take it there, or you can take it back to your seat uh, and take it at your own pace, but yeah. I'll pray, and then we can move around the room together as a family and take communion, and then we'll sing uh, on the way out. So let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for this challenge. Like, just something so simple as not eating, but not as a means to uh, get something, but just to feel what you feel. The greatest instinct one of the greatest instincts that we have as humans is just to eat. We have to eat. We have to eat. And it's hard for us here in uh, such a good place uh, where we often just eat so that we don't get hungry. Um, but you're calling us to, to go hungry uh, and to feel what it feels like to not have, to feel empty, to feel like something's missing. God, it's a great challenge just to sit with you, to feel what you feel over uh, suffering and loss, violence. There's really no way to dictate this, but I just pray that you uh, move in our hearts, that we will be drawn to do these things, uh, and that in, in that, the reward would be great, which is simply that we would be closer to you, that we, there would be greater intimacy, wisdom, a greater love. And God, as we take communion uh, as a family, as a church family, uh, in just a moment, uh, just use these, uh, use that time to really encourage us uh, to bring peace into our hearts in these moments. I pray for those who are going through loss. I pray for those who are struggling to make sense of the world. I pray for those who uh, in the room today who are uh, depressed. I pray for those who are uncertain of the future, who do feel a sense of loss. 
God, let them know in these moments that you feel those same things even greater. Give us courage and peace. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said...